Welcome back to the Cult House Podcast. I'm your host, the scholar of spite and the Saturday Night Delight, Roger Riddell. Joining me today, he is the drummer for UK genre-bending act, Pupil Slicer. By the time that this podcast comes out, they will have their new album, Blossom, out on Prosthetic Records. He is Josh Andrews. How are you doing today, Josh? Yeah, really good, thank you. Um, yeah, it's been a really really exciting week with the um, reviews flooding in of the new album and um, yeah really 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 cool and yeah doing really good um, been pretty positive so far so I'm, I'm in a good mood <laughs> yeah no, I've, I've had a chance to check it out and uh, I really love that there's a lot of I mean I, I know other people have probably said this too but there's so much variety from the beginning to the end mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I, I think we tried to really expand on, you know, I think in the first album we did, we tried to do a lot of genres and there was more sprinkles of it. But in this one, we've, um, you know, explored different genres, completely different genres and different songs. So, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty eclectic album, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, just the uh, the... And I know I mentioned in the intro that, you know, you all are like genre bending, but I mean, it is one of those things where, uh, as I was listening to it, uh, and I've said this, this has happened to me several times recently with a few different albums where, uh, you know, I listen to it and, and I get like, not like in a, in a negative way, like, what is this? But like in a positive, like, what is this? This is, this is, I can't describe it. Like, you know, I've seen everything from like grindcore to mathcore to, uh black gaze to you know any other description for you all and it's just hard to like nail down any specific sound yeah i mean i think it's, it'll be difficult for people to tag this album in a specific genre because you know yeah there's it, it does feel like you know each song's got its own um yeah i think we tried to make an album where each song kind of stands out and is its own thing right i think some albums you know, some bands just stick to the one thing for a whole album. And, you know, there's a lot of bands that, that do that really well. But I think, you know, from the offset, we've always wanted to be a band that that makes uh, music that we really like. And, and the music we really like is, you know, a broad spectrum of music across lots of different genres. So that's probably why it comes across that way. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's some bands that uh, you know, kind of just stick to the same thing for their entire career too. And I know the uh, the go-to for that is ACDC. And you know, the old joke is that they made their last new album with Back in Black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pr pr pretty much. There's even like a few bands that sound that like do the ACDC sound as well. It's like in case just in case you've not had enough of it. But yeah, I mean, I. I I like bands that are like that equally as well. Like I feel like with the Black Dahlia Murder, you know, for example, you you kind of always know what you're gonna get, but it's always just 
10 out of 10 just top quality like fucking amazing melodic death metal so yeah i mean i'm I'm glad there are bands like that that sort of stay in one thing but equally i you know i, I like that we're a band that does different things because it, yeah especially from a drummer's perspective it's keeps you on my toes <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sometimes you want familiarity and sometimes you want, uh, you know, surprise and delight. Mm. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think that um, that's something that some of the, uh, even the best bands in Grindcore have that kind of uh, flexibility in their sound too. Like the title track from Blossom, the first thing that came to mind, like just hearing how sonically different that is from the rest of the album was on uh, Napalm Death's last album, the song Amoral, uh, was probably the most uh, accessible song that they had on the album. And I feel like that's kind of what Blossom is, uh, you know, to the album Blossom, is that it's, of the singles that are out, it's the most sonically accessible. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think it's because um, we've been on tour with Boris, you know, the last, it was just over three weeks at all and we played that song quite a lot and you know some crowds we got quite a lot of movement from but we noticed with Blossom like there was a bit more like you know rocking and swaying which is was a bit weird um so it seems to be giving people a different kind of reaction and making them move in a different way which is interesting um but yeah um it definitely I think the plan to release it as the first single um was a good one because i think it introduced a few new people to our music as well and then you know when we released our second single which was a heavier one it people are oh god they're still doing that thing we like from mirrors our first album yeah i mean this was uh my introduction to pupil slicer uh so um it was is a, a i feel like a really good kind of like gateway into what you all are doing and um, how did you and uh, Katie initially get linked up? And, you know, how did the project start? Um, so it started basically, um, I was in like a black, black gaze, kind of death heaven worship band, basically, <laughs> trying to sort of uh, get something like that going with a couple of friends. And then um, we had a practice lined up and um, we made some like really funny stupid like post we put on a website called join my band that was like um hark uh raven comes with a message in his claw like really <laughs> cheesy like black metal it's like requesting <laughs> you to be our new guitarist in in pupil slicer and like uh and not pupil slicer is a different project but in in our in our uh black metal band and um kate basically messaged us like oh i'm in london i can and we we're like oh we can do you want to come to our practice we're having literally now and then yeah I just remember Kate walking through the door uh we went for a pint afterwards and yeah it's weird to think that that band um kind of evolved we sort of started a new band together later um with the same members which doesn't really make sense but the, the math core band basically as a sort of as a bit of fun and it became our main thing so yeah it's a, it was a funny sequence of events but yeah, to to condense my answer is just um online basically just Kate heeded the call of our online message. And I mean, I, even the name of the band uh, I love because it's just got this kind of like visceralness to it. Because the out of all of the different 
I guess out of all the different kinds of like horror movie gore, like nothing kind of like makes me as squeamish as eyeball gore. So like the name pupil slicer just kind of like jumps out immediately. Yeah, I think it's like it stays in your head. Um, so whenever I like speak to people that aren't sort of involved in the metal in the metal world at work or whatever, and say, you know, they're like, "Oh, what, what's your band called?" I go, "People Slice," and they're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so I think it, it, I think it's a good one because, um, yeah, it sticks in your head and um, it's a bit, it is quite gory, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I kind of like I kind of like it. My kind of meaning interpretation is I like to think, you know, it's um, to like cut your eyes or to, you know, get rid of your vision. And I think we're a band that look quite like a bit of a motley crew and aren't really what you'd expect. So I think it's quite a good name in that respect. Even though that's not it's not a, a, the reason we named it People Slicer, but I think you know it's um that's the meaning it has for me i think we're a band that like to mess with your perception on things yeah and uh blossom is a uh concept album right mm -hmm. yeah i mean i'm probably not the best person to speak about the concept i know it's a sci-fi cosmic horror which has been influenced by a billion different um uh, video games and films and stuff um I mean, speaking of like horror stuff, I know Kate watched Event Horizon and that had quite a big influence on the album. And then uh, the, the the video game Outer Wilds, which is like a sci-fi uh, video game as well. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a whole story in that. Kate sort of taken me through it a couple of times, um, but we kind of want people to work out the story for themselves and see what how they... Um, what their interpretation of it basically um we've released the three music videos sort of in reverse order so blossoms the last song on the album no temples sort of the middle point and then momentary actualities the beginning of the album um but yeah they were released in sort of a reverse order so they give some hints a little bit to the story as well and they're sort of equally as cryptic so yeah we're just hoping people give it a listen and people who do like to dig into the lyrics like I do sometimes um, have something to think about as well. And you uh, mentioned the Boris tour. How's that been going? It was really good. Um, Boris were like the nicest band in the world. Like they were so welcoming and friendly and we had some pretty crazy routing. So we basically went into mainland Europe from the UK, then went through the UK on our rest day to Ireland and then back to the UK, then back to mainland Europe. And I know I'm speaking to an American and like six, seven hour drives are probably a staple for most things anyway. But <laughs> we were like, oh my God, this is so tiring. But because um, we've only done like a UK tour before, which is like three, four hours max a day driving. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it felt really positive to, to do the new songs and we've added like a lot of electronic elements to the new album and chucked them into, into the live setting as well. So we're playing to like a backing track for only for like the simps and like extra electronic stuff that's on the album to try and work that into the live sound. So we've had a, we've had a good, you know, three weeks to get used, not get used to it, but like um, play it and get better at playing along. Cause 
you know these things do take a bit of time to to um to get used to if you've been playing you know just raw for for years and years so yeah it's been overall is a positive positive experience the scandinavian fans were amazing um germany was great france was great we played belgium and the netherlands as well so yeah was, and on ireland as well i've never been it was really cool so yeah it was awesome in a word yeah, my um about a decade ago, uh, my friends in the band the Atlas Moth toured with uh, Boris, opening for them, and uh, I got a chance to catch one of those shows, and their presence is just amazing, and just uh, I feel like they're a band that you know really you can like build like an elect uh, an eclectic uh, tour around where you know every band on there just kind of sounds the uh, or sounds different, you know. Yeah, 100%. They're like, they're just such a cool, I know what you mean by their presence. Like, they do sort of have a bit of a rock star aura about them. Um, even, you know, when you're getting to a venue and they're just setting up, they like still just look super cool and are just, but still just really friendly and stuff as well. And, you know, this tour we were doing with them was they've released uh, another Heavy Rocks album, which is like their, you know, hard rock heavy rock um kind of collection of you know because they have such a tapestry of different genres they dig into as well and um their drummer Atsuo was doing the uh vocals for the tour as well and they had like a new drummer just so he could focus on like being a front man for it and yeah it was awesome but we did two shows in Oslo and the first one was the one they the tour the um set they'd been doing for the Heavy Rocks album they were um, sort of promoting with this tour. But then they did on the second night a drone set and ordered in like about 10 orange cabs. I'm not even exaggerating. Like literally the stage was pretty small, but it was kind of like a big sort of uh, horseshoe shape of like cabs basically. <laughs> and like, I was like, where am I going to put my drums? <laughs> so we found it. We found, a, we found a space. We found a space. But um you know, and then they just did an amazing, you know, one hour and a half drone set that night that I don't even know when they would have had time to to rehearse it. And I know, you know, drone probably sounds easier to do than it is, but it was quite a versatile show. Like there was a lot of different parts to it and different things. I guess it comes from, you know, 30 years of experience. They can just be like, we'll crack out and <laughs> a, a brilliant drone set easily. But yeah, they're they're quite an I think for a band that only released two albums and um you know want to explore different genres and not be pinned down to one thing I think they're like the number one band really to look up to in metal for that because that's kind of what their career has been based on yeah the the first time that I ever heard of them uh back in 2011 I was talking to a friend who had seen them at a festival he was like, dude, you got to check out this Japanese band, Boris. Like, I saw them at this festival. They got, like, part of the way into their first song, and they played so loud that it blew all the power to the stage. And mm. they finally came back out 15 minutes later and said, no more electricity. See you next time. Mm. <laughs> and that yeah. was it. He was just like, you got to check them out. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm really not surprised because, I mean, one of the gigs we did was... Um, in this town you probably I hadn't heard of it before we went there but we had to basically play one show 
in the north of England because Boris had commitments to London and we had commitments to London, which basically meant we couldn't play near it. But then this like tiny town called Settle, in which has the oldest music hall in the UK, was basically the only place where we thought we could play. Um, and our booking agent put it together and it was such an amazing show. But then, yeah, literally the electron, the electrics just kept tripping out and stuff. And <laughs> it was one of them ones where we had to cut our set down a little bit by like 15 minutes and like move all the set times around. But then to sort of top it all off as well, um, Boris had like their usual smoke machine. So like at the end of their set, literally the fire alarm just kept going off over and over <laughs> again through like a mist of haze. And it was like, it was one of them things that was just really chaotic, but just really awesome at the same time and just made it a million times more memorable. But I'm not surprised about that story because yeah, some of the stuff they use is just insane. Yeah, I know um, prior to the tour, you had talked to Decibel Magazine about the uh, possibility of playing Mario Kart with Wada. Uh, did you get a chance to do that? No, we, we didn't. We didn't in the end. It was just one of them ones, I think, where we mentioned it a couple of times, but there just wasn't an obvious um, an obvious time to do it, really, just with the with the scheduling really because it we'd sort of arrive at the venue and they'd finish their sound check and then go to eat and then we'd start our sound check and then pretty much go straight into playing so it wasn't really like an obvious time to do it but um me and Wata both um downloaded the new Zelda game and were like we, we, were, we were like talking a little bit about that um <laughs> while we we're on tour and um sharing a little bit of shared enthusiasm um you know for that which was quite cool because yeah we knew we knew Wata was a big gamer and me and Kate are super into our games as well but you never know we might we were saying to them you know we had such a good time we'd love to maybe do something with them again and they seemed you know quite keen to as well maybe so yeah maybe in the future we could finally finally get that Mario Kart game in that we've we've been pining for <laughs> <laughs> And uh, have you been, you know, into the uh, the new tracks that they put out uh, for Mario Kart 8? Oh, being honest, I haven't played the new tracks. I think it's quite, I think they're quite expensive though, aren't they? I can't remember what it was. I think you have to like pay, pay quite a bit for them. And I haven't actually played, I've like basically got a big backlog of games. And, um, and, and since the new Zelda's come out as well, I just haven't. Haven't really had a chance to play anything out else, basically. But um, yeah, I, I did hear about that. I think they've re they've redone some of the old ones as well, haven't they? I think yeah. like the N six the N sixty four tracks are the ones I grew up with, so um, they're probably some some of my favourites. The Chocolate Mountain one in particular. <laughs> if anyone wanted <laughs> to know that, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm. Uh... I'm like a old school like Mario Kart person since uh, Super NES. Uh, I think that the original came out when I was in, I want to say like first grade. And at that time, uh, there's always been kind of this consistent thing throughout that series where Toad is always one of the like best two or three all around racers in there. And then in the first one, it was Toad and the Koopa Troopa. But then you get to 64 and it's Toad and uh, Wario. Mm. And That's... they just kind of like maintain that. Yeah, I always like to pick Toad. But 
it was only like later in in life I realized they made him the best one and I was like oh what a great coincidence but um <laughs> yeah I mean if I picked Toad don't hold it against me I didn't know <laughs> yeah no they they gave you the opportunity on Super NES to choose uh Donkey Kong or Bowser and you know to feel like it was this really cool thing but then you realize that they're like the slowest hardest to handle racers in the entire thing yeah, there's no like, there's no advantage to playing them at all apart from, yeah, I guess I guess they're a bit heavier and so you can barge people, but no, it's it's about the speed, isn't it, really? But, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I I don't think I played the NES one though, so yeah, yeah I've got to give that a go at some point too. Yeah, it's on the uh the Switch Online now on the uh, Super NES one. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. I'll have to give it a go. I've got, I've got that online thing. It's free, isn't it? That one. Yeah, I think like once you've got uh, the online subscription, and then I think there's like the the second tier of the Switch Online where you get the N sixty four, and I think mm. the Mario Kart eight new tracks are like bundled in with that. Like if you're in that upper tier Switch Online thing, mm. you just automatically get them. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Because I own I own an N sixty four, and I have pretty much all of them games. So I think that's what put me off of it as well. I was like, don't really need to need to you know pay to a monthly fee to play these because I can just dust off the old N sixty four. Yeah, still got one. N sixty four is like responsible for one of my earliest experiences with putting a lot of effort into doing everything in a game and then not feeling rewarded for it. Like the reward for it was almost kind of um, almost kind of like a joke by the developers of the game. Uh, I don't know if you ever finished uh, Super Mario 64 with like all of the stars, but they let you like finally use the cannon that's out in front of the castle and you go on top of it and you meet Yoshi and you have this this sort of like moment where you're like, oh, they're going to let me ride around on Yoshi in this game now. But he jumps off into a waterfall and gives you 100 lives that you don't need anymore because you did mm. everything already. <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's one of the things I because I was playing it literally when I, I think I got the N64 and I was like six or seven. And it was like one of them rumors I thought, like, wasn't there like a rumor that Luigi was in the game and that like it's some you can unlock him by jumping in the ghost fountain or there was like loads of weird rumors but only when i was older i found out the yoshi thing was actually was actually real but yeah equally disappointed to be honest and i think the biggest i feel like the even bigger fuck you is have you played um breath of the wild yeah um yeah like when you collect all of the koroks they give you like literally just something that goes into your menu that looks like a turd it's like <laughs> it's like i'm so glad i didn't 100 that part of the game because i would have been fuming it's like something like the koroks gift or something and it literally <laughs> just looks like a big steaming poo <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that i didn't bother with on breath of the wild too with uh with finishing all the way because there's just too many koroks yeah and then like again the other the the other reward for the DLC is you get the bike and it's like I guess they probably may be experimenting in hindsight for the new game with like seeing how that's gone now but like what good is a motorbike when you've 
literally done every like it's the reward when you've done everything so it's like it doesn't really make any sense but uh, classic nintendo <laughs> <laughs> you know i think the uh the thing with the dlc motorbike is that it it's more of a reward if you started playing after that dlc came out because you can start that dlc after you leave the great plateau and then, oh yeah that's yeah. true yeah so basically it's you're you're punished for playing the game early <laughs> yeah well being a loyal fan you get you have to walk around everywhere or one on one of the horses that doesn't listen to you <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I've, I've given up on the horses in both uh breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom except for when you have to use them <laughs> mm. yeah I, I don't think I've, I've even used the horse in the new one yet because you don't really you don't need it as much and to be fair, I'm only like 30 hours into it and I'm literally just trying to farm the batteries just so I can just fly around basically everywhere. But um, yeah, so that's, I've taken up way too much time playing that game already since I've been back. Like it's probably more than like 20 hours now. That was the one when I got back from tour. It's probably more now. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm like 75 hours in and like only... I think barely like 20% through it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, if they certainly put, you know, it to bed, um, people thinking it was going to be like a DLC, basically. It's it's just so much to do in it. found it quite overwhelming. And um, me and Kate did, yeah, when we did this other game interview, was basically saying how, like, they have to 100% everything and Kate finally started it and didn't want any spoilers. But I was like, one thing I'll say is, Kate, I was like, you will be quite overwhelmed if you want to do everything in this game. It's going to be a lot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's good fun. It's, it helps me unwind. <laughs> yeah, you know, the depths feel almost like an entirely different game. Mm. Yeah, that, I think that's why I've been drawn to it so much because you know i'm kind of familiar with the, the 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 stuff on the main you know in the main bit of hyrule so the um the stuff in the depths it was a lot fresher even though it's kind of like the same map below but um sort of reskinned and with different stuff but yeah it's, it's it, i think it was a cool idea like i think the benchmark everyone wanted was like oh we just want a few dungeons it's like well we're going to give you like a, a map that's just as big as you know the whole of Hyrule which is basically a big you know open world it's like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> I mean uh I think between Zelda and Metroid those are probably the two most like metal of Nintendo's franchises too yeah I mean I've only played I've played the 2D games but I've only just been playing Prime with the remaster and I kind of stopped playing it before tour and then was like this is probably too much to play in the van because it's you kind of have to think quite a bit with Metroid games. They're like the puzzles are a bit more, a bit more brainy. So I haven't had a chance to finish it, but yeah, I'd say it's definitely, they're definitely probably the most metal. I don't know. I mean, I mean, Animal Crossing isn't very metal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Pokemon is pretty dark when you think about it, though, considering it's uh, a game where the entire world in it is, for some reason, uh, 
you know, kind of based around an economy that has at the center of it catching animals and forcing them to fight each other for entertainment. Yeah, I'm <laughs> doing I'm doing like min minimal chores and like yeah, it's pretty bad actually. I mean, yeah, it isn't in the anime, isn't like Mr. Mime basically their butler. Yeah. <laughs> like, like some of the things yeah um hmm, pretty much yeah out of uh out of all the zelda games which do you think is probably the most metal hmm. I'm torn between twilight princess and majora's mask but like majora's mask is the obvious one because it's got the darkest story but like Twilight Princess is a fucking dark game as well. Like it's visually anyway, it's like super dark. Um yeah, I'd say a toss up between them. What do you think? Yeah, I think um Twilight Princess is probably my favorite of all the Zelda games, uh, especially of all the traditional like pre-Breath of the Wild ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, because the art style I think worked really well. And because Link is basically a werewolf in that one. Um, yeah, Majora's Mask is up there too. Um, just from the... That game was probably the most frustrating starting out too. And I was in like middle school and it first came out and I got it for Christmas. The, uh, the first time I tried to play through it, I was like, how am I supposed to do anything on here if the game like resets in like an hour? And then you mm -hmm. finally figure out, oh, there's a song you have to get that resets the day. And basically everything that you do is just like timed. Mm. For someone who gets stressed out easily and like <laughs> likes escapism, I was like, this is too this, I found it. I didn't actually complete that one until I was a bit older. Like I completed Ocarina of Time when I was yeah, a kid basically in Twilight Princess, but I had to actually go back to Majora's Mask because I just found it too stressful as a kid and just couldn't work it out um but yeah it, it's a pretty cool game yeah ocarina is pretty metal too i um one of my like earliest memories of uh of that game i guess when i was in sixth grade um my dad was dating a woman at the time whose uh son was super into zelda and i think he i actually ended up getting into the zelda franchise through him but um, my main memory of like playing Zelda for the first time was uh, climbing out of the uh, the caldera on Death Mountain around like the fire temple. And we were like listening to Metallica while we were playing it. So I just associate Ocarina of Time with Metallica now. <laughs> yeah, it's one of them, it's one of my early memory things, I guess, where like just the association now. But yeah, I mean, Death Mountain pretty metal and <laughs> pretty yeah. metal name for a mountain as well <laughs> and like yeah like and you know the pretty sure what's his name king dodongo is it i can't yeah. remember he like it wasn't wasn't he like feeding on them all and that's why they had to like seal it up or something like that or which again one of those details you don't realize as a kid but i was like that's pretty dark <laughs> yeah you know that um that whole franchise is like just the the whole timeline of it all 
gets confusing too because there's like three timelines that branch off from that game and then every game after that uh i always just kind of end up trying to figure out where everything is kind of placed because of how confusing nintendo's made that timeline yeah i mean i i used to when i was a bit younger i used to find it all quite interesting but yeah it's like it's ocarina of time isn't it the split and it's like ones because it, it was always a two a two-pronged theory which was like the ocarina of time ones but then nintendo i think have released the official one and um just probably to shut people up basically probably asking them questions about it all the time um but i think the third branch is the one if he fails or something and then that's yeah. what leads to maybe wind waker or something i can't really remember I haven't looked at it in years to be honest. Um but yeah, I liked I liked um controversial. I quite liked Skyward Sword um when it came out and I thought that was a good sort of because it's meant to be the first in the series, isn't it? And it kind of makes sense. And I guess with that the new game, I haven't really I say this, I've played hours of it and I've no idea what's happening in the story because I've done nothing like to do with the story, basically, but I feel like maybe they're hinting at the sky stuff from Skyward Sword a little bit with that, even if it's just, you know, in the in the themes of it and how it looks rather than actually trying to tie into the story. But yeah, I've, I've kind of lost interest a bit in the in the lore of Zelda, apart from um, yeah, like a few. I like when they make little connections between the games. Sometimes I think. One of my favourite ones is um, in Twilight Princess. This is very niche. Um, the fisherman from the Ocarina of Time game, if you go to the fishing hut in Twilight Princess, there's like a picture of the fisherman in the fishing hut, which makes you think, oh, maybe he's like their granddad or something. But yeah, I, I like little links like that, but no pun intended. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I think uh, you can get a bit bogged down uh thinking too much about that yeah i mean the most that that i you know have thought about it recently offhand is that i think breath of the wild essentially in its timeline takes place at the same point that wind waker takes place in the other one where it's like breath of the wild is hyrule not being flooded as a result of ganon being sealed and then wind waker was uh hyrule being flooded and then mm -hmm. um i think if I remember correctly, Twilight Princess happens in the same timeline as Breath of the Wild. But um, but yeah, it all gets confusing. Skyward Sword is actually the only one that I've never in like the mainline Zelda games that I've never played all the way through because the uh, the controls were a bit much. Yeah, I think with the some people had that. I, I thought they worked. They worked okay. They worked quite well um, for me, but. Yeah, it's it's sort of mixed with to be honest, I've never been like a wave around and shake your hands kind of person with games, but I guess my love for Zelda kind of made me push through with it. But I think they with the HD re-release they done with the Switch, they've reconfigured the controls because some of the like fights you have in it are actually quite cool because you have to like they're like linked up to um the enemies, like where you have to hit them. So you might have to swipe diagonally and then swipe down to like to kill one of them which is quite cool but yeah the story wraps up quite quite good as well and sort of ties it in for the rest of it so i think it's probably worth giving it another try if you can be 
if you can get through <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom, <laughs> which yeah. might take everyone quite a while to do that. But um, yeah, it's quite a cool one. I mean, I, I think in Twilight Princess, they hint that it, well, it's meant to be linked to Ocarina of Time and Ganon sealed in that one and then sort of breaks free again or something. So I don't know if Breath of the Wild, he gets freed again. I'm, I'm not really sure what the lore is, but yeah, I might have to get the official Nintendo timeline out again and have a look. <laughs> yeah, somehow uh, he always gets free every time that he's sealed. <laughs> yeah, just kill him. Just stop. Yeah. Stop sealing him. <laughs> but... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. think they had a. I don't think they had a plan when they made the first one. Really, <laughs> yeah. When it comes to uh, like video game music, have you ever been like directly inspired? You know, to to create anything um, by like music that you heard in a game. Um. Yeah. I, I mean, not me personally, because percussionally, it doesn't really match up. To what I do at all, but I'm pretty sure Kate would be happy with me saying that you know the big influences from a video game soundtrack perspective on this one was, and I've never played this, is the Final Fantasy 14 soundtrack. Kate's super obsessed with that, and I know that's had like a lot of influence on 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 the writing, and then the Outer Wilds soundtrack, which is another game I've not played, which when Kate recommended it to me, um, they said um, the game's very similar to Majora's Mask. It's like a timed um, catastrophe game that you have to like go back in time and do things or something. And I know them too were really a really big influence on on things for the album. Um, I'm not sure beyond that, but I think those 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 would be the the two that. I've come across but i've not played either of them so i can't really comment specifically on what tracks and stuff that they line up to yeah you know it's um there's a lot of different like video game soundtracks from over the years that you know just looking back uh i'll look them up every now and then on like youtube or something and i'll be like this was actually like pretty good and um i remember at one point a few years ago I looked up the um, the soundtrack for Maximum Carnage, the uh, Spider-Man game from like Super NES Sega Genesis era. And uh, one of the main things that I remembered from that was that there was a band called Green Jelly that did the main song for it. Except it's it's funny looking back now like at that because basically they wrote the song and then it got converted to like a MIDI version. But um, one thing that I like realized way far in advance because I didn't have the knowledge as like a second grader to to pick this up was that the boss fight music in that game was uh, Black Sabbath's Mob Rules uh, as a MIDI. And I don't know if Black Sabbath ever got any royalties off of that, but hopefully the, uh, there was something cleared there. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I, I, I definitely think MIDI music, tran- metal MIDI music translates so well. Like, I mean, I'm pretty sure if you converted, like, um, I think I already mentioned the Black Dahlia Murder, but if you can, if you converted one of the best songs to MIDI, it'd probably sound like 
Castlevania, and I think that was like one of their big influences. Um, um, not sure, I don't know if I'm misquoting, but I'm pretty sure that like it's all tied together that stuff. Um, but yeah, actually, a benchmark I think for some of our songs in the past have been, you know, if they if they slap in MIDI, then they're gonna slap um, when you actually record them. So yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a good it's a good metric to know if something's gonna sound good if it sounds good in MIDI because yeah it just has its own sort of personality doesn't it yeah there's a whole lane of youtube now that's just metal albums converted to like the mario 64 like sound front or like the ocarina of time sound front (laughs) oh yeah i'm sure i listened to like the mario one recently and i was like this is brilliant i can't even (laughs) i'm trying to think what, what album it was um like I've, I went, I've been down that YouTube hole as well. I mean, I think like the big one was the uh, like the Radiohead in Rainbows one. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, how will this translate at all? But it actually works. Um, but yeah, I think I've heard some of the Metallica ones as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's great when people hop on them trends because I'm pretty sure you could Google most, you know, big metal albums and probably find them in mario sound font now quite easily <laughs> just because just because that's how the internet works and it's brilliant <laughs> yeah yeah I and mean, even uh you know in reverse uh there's a lot of uh like zelda music especially like zelda boss fight music and i think even some of the bowser like boss fight music from mario probably would translate pretty well over to metal yeah i'd say so i mean yeah, some of like some of the like yeah Bowser fights and stuff like that. That that music is quite metal and, um, yeah, I guess there's there probably is like a, a depth in YouTube of like, I'm pretty sure I've seen a few like full band, you know Zelda, Zelda metal covers. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of something in my head actually that that, that translate quite cool into it. But I've definitely seen one of like the main Zelda theme and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised there's not a band out there that has a gimmick of dressing like Nintendo characters and playing metal versions of Nintendo music. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd see that. Yeah, I think there's like cool. a. <laughs> oh, go ahead. No, as I said, I'd, I'd I'd probably see that. I think it would be cool. I mean, um, probably not. Probably at like a festival or something. It'd be quite funny to see like in one of the late night tents or something like that when you when you've had a few drinks or something it's one of those sorts of things yeah no there's a i know there's the band that uh that dresses like transformers characters and you know plays uh plays metal versions of those songs and then there's um my favorite weird gimmick band like that um is a black sabbath parody band called max sabbath and they're all different mcdonald's characters and all of the uh, all of the songs have been rewritten to be about McDonald's instead of uh, what they originally were. <laughs> I feel like most people's reaction, like what just happened in my head, was why. <laughs> but, but, but fair enough. I mean, gimmicks work. I mean, wasn't there like a Ned Flanders themed metal band that like yeah. got really popular? I mean, I. Oh, the oakley doakleys or something i thought that was quite funny so like sometimes gimmicks can work really well um yeah it's cool 
Yeah. Um, do y'all have any plans to tour stateside anytime soon? Um, yeah, like, well, not put in stone and nothing lined up at the moment, but I think for the summer this year, we're probably going to finish off this fest, these um, festivals we've announced. Um, then we've got a UK tour with Employed to Serve, which we're really excited for at the end of the year. And then fingers crossed next year, an offer will come in or we can make it work somehow to come to America because it just seems like the logical thing to do because, you know, it's just one of the things you dream of when you're younger and it seems like we're getting to that level where we probably could um, because we know how passionate the US fans are about metal. Like, you know, it's, um, it's huge. So yeah, fingers crossed next year, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if you all play in the uh, Chicago area, I'll definitely have to bring the Switch out and, you know, get in some Mario Kart. Oh, definitely. I mean, it has to happen at a gig eventually. <laughs> um, but yeah, it would be it would be fun, depending on depending on how much time we have. But hopefully it wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be cool. Yeah. And uh, is there anything else that uh, you want to put out there? Yeah. Um um no i mean i um yeah i just want to say thanks to anyone who's who's listened um uh do you say this is probably going to come out after the album's out um yeah i hope people are enjoying the new album really appreciate anyone that's you know even listened to it um hopefully we can come over to the us for anyone who's listening from there and um you know if there is a show in chicago then come and challenge me and roger would be happy to and play some double dash maybe i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah um but yeah um yeah thanks so much to everyone for listening and yeah hope hope you all enjoy the new album and yeah hopefully see people at a show soon yeah no, thank you for taking the time to uh chat tonight about the new album blossom uh which again will be out by the time that this uh podcast comes out on youtube and spotify and um yeah, just uh, check out Pupil Slicer. It's uh, they were a really great surprise uh, when I got a chance to check them out recently, and I'm looking forward to seeing them live soon. Awesome, thanks.